Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 699 with Jeff Brown. Jeff has got the golden voice, but even more than that, he's got the golden tips when it comes to accelerating your career all the faster through reading, how to do it well, how to do it faster, how to remember more, so much good stuff. So you'll learn one, how to strategically pick out your next book, two, how to double or triple your reading speed in just minutes, and three, two simple tricks for maximizing your reading comprehension. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to the items that we mentioned here, please drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP699 and you'll get the goods here. Here's Jeff's story. Jeff is an award-winning radio producer and personality and former nationally syndicated morning show host. He has interviewed a whole lot of impressive folks like Seth Godin, John Maxwell, Liz Weissman, Nancy Duarte, Simon Sinek, and more. And he's coached hundreds of successful podcasters around the globe, many of them award nominees and winners themselves, and consulted on podcasts for the U.S. government, two of the largest churches in the U.S., and numerous multi-million dollar companies. Jeff and his work have been featured in Inc., Entrepreneur, HubSpot, and many others. Big thanks to Jeff for sharing his wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Jeff, thanks for joining us here on How to Be Awesome at Your Job. I am so excited to be here. I have been listening to this podcast for quite some time. I've known it, known of it for a while. I've even uh, promoted it on my own show a time or two in the last uh, year or two. Oh, well, well, thank you. We, we appreciate <laughs> that. And, and I'm a fan of you and, and what you put out there and excited to hear about how to, to read, to lead in a big way. Uh, but first, I th- think, though, we have to hear a little bit about... The tale behind you winning a Billy Joel singing soundalike contest. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was, uh, uh, as embarrassing as this is to admit, I was in car sales at the time. I spent about 18 months of my adult life selling new and used cars to people. And I remember on my way to work one day, I was listening to the radio station that I wanted to one day work for. I spent 26 years in radio. And they were doing a contest that morning. Billy Joel and Elton John were coming to town. It was that tour of them together. And they were having this sing-alike contest. And I had been singing Billy Joel songs to the top of my lungs in my bedrooms for as long as I could remember, practicing for this very moment. (laughs) And so I called the radio station. happened to get through, thankfully. And I did You May Be Right. I did part of the first verse in the chorus. 
and they sang along and loved it. And lo and behold, uh, if I wasn't chosen as the person who most sounded that day, that particular day, just that one day, like Billy Joel, there was also an Elton John sound alike winner. And we got tickets to the show and even joined the radio station that next day and helped give away more tickets. And I dressed like Billy and she dressed like Elton. And we just had a lot of fun. Oh, that's good. Well, <laughs> I, may I... I have to ask, can we hear, have a little demo? <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I wasn't ready for that. Let me see. Friday night, I crashed your party. Saturday, I said, I'm sorry. Now, that's not me really trying to sound like Billy Joel, but that's just Jeff singing. So there you go. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, it was a treat. Thank you. <laughs> I'm sure you loved it. You weren't really expecting me to do that, were you? You just wanted to. <laughs> well, well, I, I said, I'm going to go for it. If he declines, I'll edit it out. <laughs> uh, there, that's the best I could do on such short notice. <laughs> well, it, it was a treat and uh, we appreciate it. And well, now we're going to talk about Read to Lead. So you've got a podcast called read to lead mm. and, and now uh, a book here yeah and it's a catchy title and more than that though you say that we need to read as if our career depended on it what do you mean by this yeah well i have found this uh, to be the case in my own personal life and every successful person that i talk to uh, understands the value of practicing this habit so for me up until 2003 i was in my early 30s at that time and i had never made reading a practice Reading wasn't something that I did in my spare time, certainly, but I had a book and an author introduced to me. It was sort of like the stars and planets aligning when the student is ready, the master appears kind of moment. And that author was Seth Godin. The book was Purple Cow. And I did not know, as embarrassing as this is for me to admit, I just did not know that these kinds of books existed, that if you've got a problem, somebody's already solved it and they've probably written about it in a book. And so that to me was eye-opening. I devoured that book. I went on to uh, Good to Great by Jim Collins, Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Pat Lincioni, 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership by John Maxwell, uh, Multipliers, How the Best Leaders Make Everyone Smarter by Liz Weissman, and on and on and on. And when I started doing that, I was doing something that 95% of my colleagues were not doing. And so just by doing that, I was already ahead of the pack. But then as I began to experiment and implement what I was learning, something happened, something interesting happened. I tried some things that didn't work. I tried some things that did. The things I tried that didn't work were quickly forgotten. <laughs> the things I tried that did work got me noticed. And I began being asked and being given opportunities to do things within the company I was working for at the time that all came about as a result of reading and then putting into practice what I was learning. That's the only explanation I can give for why I had opportunities come my way that no one else did. I don't attribute it to me being the smartest person in the room, because I certainly was not, but I wanted to surround myself with people much smarter than me. And, and one of the best ways you can do that is with a book. Mm, well said. And you know, that, that's kind of my own journey is growing up. I just went to the library a lot and I just realized, hey, books make you better. <laughs> Read a book about photography, take better pictures. Read a book about chess, beat my dad at chess. And uh, <laughs> it was just really exciting to see that, oh, there's a book on anything I want to get better at. And and it's all right there. And maybe mm. even free if it's at your library. Very cool. So, so you and I have had that experience. I, I'm curious if, if there's any studies or, or research or, or data that say, hey, it's not just Pete and Jeff. This is a pretty reliable effect that we can bank on. When, when people do reading, it improves their professional results. Yeah, there's probably more studies than I could possibly reference. And we talk about many of them in the book for sure. 
but there are studies that show that reading certain kinds of books outweigh reading other kinds of books. For example, reading physical books have been shown uh, to be easier to remember, easier to comprehend, easier to retain than, say, an ebook. Really? Yeah. Uh, in fact, this was a study that the one I'm thinking of is from 2014. It says our brains were not designed for reading, but have adapted and created new circuits to understand letters and, and texts. And they found that uh, readers, and I'm going from memory here, so, so I'm paraphrasing, but in this particular study, they found that readers of, of a short mystery on a Kindle were significantly worse at remembering the order of events than those who read the same story in paperback form. And so uh, for that reason and many others, when people ask me, Jeff, how do you look at reading? Do you, do you prefer physical, ebooks, audiobooks? I think uh, it depends on your situation in life. There may be a time, you may be at a place right now where all you can do is listen to audiobooks. I say all you can do. That's, that's not a bad thing. When I was commuting to a job and I had a little free time, or so I thought, audiobooks were a great way to leverage that commute. And those served a purpose for that period of time. Right now, when given a choice, I'd much rather have the physical book uh, in my hand. Um, I like the tactile nature of a physical book. I like writing in the book, that sort of thing. So I think it's going to depend on your situation and also maybe the kind of book you're reading. I think if you're looking to learn a new skill, a physical book is probably more often than not your, your best option for retaining and comprehension. If I'm going to tackle an autobiography, let's say, and that tends to be, for me, more for entertainment purposes, and I'm more likely to listen to that book being read. Mm -hmm. So I think depending on where you're at in life and the book you're reading will help you determine which of those uh, formats, I guess, work best for you. Oh, that is some interesting research right there in terms of, of format. And and I guess I'm also curious if we have research associated with with results. So we hear that uh, leaders are readers, and, and and that's catchy. Is that, in fact empirically validated from <laughs> some numbers. Yeah, it's hard to say. I don't have, I have those numbers in front of me right now, but I think it's safe to say that leaders are definitely readers, but at the same time, readers aren't necessarily leaders. Okay, that's, that's, a, that's a quote from one of our past presidents. I don't recall at the moment which one, but I don't think you can be a leader. I don't think you can uh, be a person of impact necessarily unless you're uh, recognizing the fact that you always have room to improve, that you need to understand and comprehend the value of being a lifelong learner. Can you read and not grow? Can you read and choose not to do anything with that information? Yes. I don't believe that, that knowledge is power. As the saying goes, I think only knowledge put into action is power. So there are a lot of people who just read and don't do anything with the information. That's not really helping you or anybody else. But if you're one of those folks who understands the value of being a lifelong learner and actually executing and implementing on what you read, then you're going to go much, much further. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, so you mentioned that 95% of folks are, are not doing uh, the reading. <laughs> what do you suppose that's about in terms of are, are there some key stumbling blocks that that show up uh, frequently or, or folks are are unaware that it's 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 transformational or they just think it's lame what's the hold up yeah i was having a conversation and i'm not name dropping here i promise but i was having a conversation with seth godin about the book i had reached out to him and asked if he would consider an endorsement for the book and he gracefully agreed to do that but not without giving some feedback, because that's what one thing that's so great about Seth is he's going to give you his, his opinions and feedback. And a couple of things he said to me were, people don't want to learn. 
Hmm. These were a couple of things that Seth was noting that we hadn't really addressed yet at this point in the book uh, writing process. Learning requires admitting that you don't know something, which we're taught to avoid, right? And it's, it is so easier to not learn and simply get back to work. And the other thing he said to me was people don't want to change their minds. Uh, if a book is going to help you get somewhere you can't get to on your own, that means you're going to have to, uh, to change your mind about something. And again, that's something that we resist, something that we're taught to avoid either on purpose or not. Mm. And so I, I have learned and the, sort of the way we responded to that feedback, if you want to succeed at anything, you have to grow in your ability to identify excuses or limiting beliefs in, in your life. You have to own them. You have to take a step outside your comfort zone. You're not very likely to experience success of any kind. I don't believe if you're not willing to do this. And so, so people who are successful tend to not make excuses and tend to do whatever it takes to go through or over or around or under whatever obstacle they face. And so uh, here's the funny thing about stepping outside your comfort zone. Maybe for you, that's reading a book or reading about something you don't know a lot about or reading about something that challenges you. The more often you do it, the easier it gets. I used to be terrified of public speaking. But I recognized at some point that in order to accomplish the goals I'd set out for myself, that's a skill I was going to need to cultivate. And so I began reading books about it and then putting myself in positions to do that more regularly, more often in small uh, situations at first and worked my way up naturally. The funny thing is, is the more I did that, the easier it became through practice and repetition and the more enjoyable it got. So I went from dreading doing that to loving doing that. John Maxwell, who I mentioned earlier uh, kind of puts it this way. Uh, when it comes to not liking to read or not thinking there's any value in reading or deciding you don't need to read, I think it's kind of like saying, I don't need to think. <laughs> and when it comes to doing anything we don't want to do and something that we understand could make us better, but we're maybe lazy for lack of a better word, you've got a choice to make. And this is what Maxwell talks about. And that's, uh, you can choose the pain of self-discipline, which comes from doing uh, the hard thing, sacrifice, growth, or you can choose the pain of regret, which comes from taking the easy road and missing opportunity. So there's pain either way. There's pain in the sacrifice and growth now or not sacrificing and growing now and suffering with the pain of regret later. Which pain do you want? Mm -hmm. So I want the pain of growth and sacrifice because that one does not include the pain of regret at a later time. <laughs> yeah, that's well said. Those resistance pieces associated with not wanting to admit ignorance or change minds, I'm, I'm thinking now about a recent book, hmm. Adam Grant's Think Again, and he shares a story in which he's chatting with um, the famed researcher, uh, Daniel Kahneman, hmm. and he said, Danny, I believe Adam called him, was that like Martin Scorsese, you call him Marty when you're, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, they're buds, they're chums. Hmm. Danny <laughs> said that he enjoyed being wrong. Because hmm. that's the only way he really knew that he had learned something. He likened it more to a, a surprise feeling and a, a pleasant sensation as opposed to a, oh, I'm dumb sensation. And I thought that was very enlightened. That's very interesting. It kind of reminds me of the first half of my radio career versus the second half of my radio career. And the second half of my radio career, by the way, was spent at the same company. The first half was all over the place. And I was in a lot of small markets, a lot of small radio stations, because at those small markets and small radio stations, I was the big kahuna. I was the, the talented guy. I was 
the on-air king, for lack of a better word. I knew my way around uh, more than most and just was naturally talented and liked to stay in places like that because I liked how that felt. But what that meant was I was comfortable. I was in places where I was, quote unquote, the smartest guy in the room. Now, in the second half of my career, I lucked into a position where the tables were turned. Suddenly, I was challenged every day. Suddenly, I was pushed outside my comfort zone every day. Suddenly, I was surrounded by people much further down the path than I was and people that I could learn from. And that stretched me and caused me to grow. And I learned the value of hanging around in rooms where you're not necessarily the smartest person. That's, that's where you can do those things like grow and stretch and, and be all you can be, as they say. Mm-hmm. That's good. Well, so I, I want to dig into the, the particulars associated with how to read more, mm. better. But first, I guess I want to hear, what's the process by which you discover and select your next book? Yeah, I think you'll never go wrong if you begin with topics, with people, with subjects, with places, with things that personally interest you. This has been the case for me for the better part of, of two decades. When I was working a, a regular job, that was things about my industry and about my particular place in the industry and things that I, uh, skills I wanted to hone. And when I focused on reading books about those things, I was never bored. More recently, that's been books centered around mindset. And I continue to read books about public speaking because those are things I want to, to get better at, being a better public speaker. More recently, that's been getting booked and paid to speak because that's something I want to do more regularly, more successfully. I've read many books on, on mindset and, and really understanding the value, as Carol Dweck talks about, an abundance mindset versus a scarcity mindset. And I used to be the kind of person that couldn't wrap his head around the fact that I could someday earn a living on my own, even a better living than I could earn working for someone else. But I had to have that taken away from me enough times, and radio's notorious for that, for me to have a wake up one day and go, nah, hold on a second. How secure is this really when it's being taken away from me so regularly? And so I read books that helped me come out of that mindset of, I will always do X when. I could do why only if I took the time to read about how to do that. Oh, yeah, that's that's really great. And I guess I'm I'm also thinking sometimes my starting point is it's like, hmm, there's something I need or want to to know, to learn, to understand, to develop, to be better at. And then I go forth and say, well, well, what's the book on that? I search Amazon or whatever. I'm curious if you've got a topic, like let's just say public speaking. I mean. There's a boatload of, of great books, and, and I'm thinking Give Your Speech, Change the World, leaps to mind for me, from Nick Morgan, yeah. guest on the show. But how do I go about picking from the hundreds of, of books which one is really worth delving into? Yeah, And maybe it's several, but that doesn't have to be just one. But how do you make that call? Yeah, I think the first thing you need to do is really narrow your focus. So, so even something as specific and narrow sounding as public speaking can be broken down into so many subtopics, right? So I think the key is starting with, well, what are those subtopics? And this can be as simple as going to Amazon and searching through their hierarchy of book categories, and they get really granular the more you dive into it. But early on for me, even though I don't know I would start the process the same way now as far as this particular subtopic. But for me early on, I read books on presentation design. I lacked confidence standing in front of a room full of people. And I knew that if I had great looking slides, mm. and again, I wouldn't do this the same way now, that would take the focus off me and put it on the slides. And plus knowing that I had great looking slides gave me more confidence. 
So I started off reading uh, Gar Reynolds' uh, presentation, Zen, and Nancy Duarte's Slideology. So I started with that subtopic, and then later that, that led to uh, presentation delivery. I read a book on, uh, later after that, the fear of public speaking and how to deal with the anxiety of it all. And after I read a few books uh, on that, I looked at presentation structure. I'm currently reading a book on uh, how to inject humor into your presentations called Do You Talk Funny? And so that presentation reading journey for me has has spanned 15, 20 years. And I've got dozens of books over my shoulder that tackle all of those different subtopics. I just picked a subtopic that grabbed my curiosity and interest and started with books just on that subtopic. And when I felt like I had mastered that or really gotten a grasp of that, then I went on to the next public speaking subtopic. Excellent. Okay. And then how do you think about Broadly speaking, how one goes about developing the reading habit more. So folks read not at all or very little, and they think, yeah, Jeff's right. I want to do more of that. How do you recommend folks find that groove? Well, one of the books I read in the last couple of years is Tiny Habits by uh, B.J. Fogg. Uh, There's also Atomic Habits by James Clear, a very popular book. And I found uh, B.J.'s book to be life-altering. And this uh, applies to just about any habit you want to create, and certainly reading is, is among those. And so I would first encourage you to find an anchor habit, like what's something that goes well with reading that you already do every day? And for me, that might be something, and maybe for you, like drinking coffee. That's something I do every day. I prepare a cup or two of coffee without having to give it any thought. It's just ingrained. It's a habit that I have. Reading and coffee go together quite well. And so the recipe, the habit recipe, as Fogg would call it, might be when I sit down with my morning cup of coffee, I will... And this is where you can't be embarrassed to make it super tiny. That might be open the book and read the first page. Or it might be I will open the book and read the first paragraph or the first sentence. Or when I sit down with my morning cup of coffee, I will open the book. And that's it. And then I will celebrate. I will, you know, do a Tiger Woods, you know, fist pump or a victory sign or a look in the mirror and just go, yes. And what I'm doing is I'm, I'm programming my brain to think, oh, this is something that is good for us. So let's repeat it, (laughs) right? Yeah. And so the next morning you come back and you do that thing again, and it might just be opening the book. Now, over time, you'll get to a point where you're like, well, I'm here anyway. So why don't I just read a little bit? (laughs) Fogg talks about this in the context of having a struggle with flossing. He brushed his teeth like clockwork every day, but he couldn't build that habit of flossing until he decided that when I brush my teeth, that's the habit recipe, I will floss one tooth, right? And then I will celebrate that. And over time, again, it became, well, I'm here anyway. Why don't I floss two teeth? (laughs) So start there and then beyond that. In other words, break it down, make it as simple as you possibly can and celebrate however simple that might be, even though it might feel silly, you're reprogramming your brain. From there, I would begin scheduling your time to read. Uh, One of the first things I say to people who tell me they struggle with finding time to read is I ask them, are they scheduling it? When I say schedule it, I mean, just like any other appointment or meeting you might have, like this interview we're doing right now, we schedule this. It's protected, barring some tragedy, right? We're going to come together. We're going to do this. And I think if you want to read consistently and with intention, you have to give it that level of importance. You have to schedule it. And then when someone asks for time that conflicts with your reading, you have a choice. You can 
acquiesce and give into that if that meeting is deemed important enough. Or you can look at your schedule and you can tell that person, you know what, I've, I've, I've got an appointment during that time. Can we do it some other time? An appointment with yourself is no less an appointment in my book. So protect it to that level. And that might just be 30 minutes a day, maybe even just 15 minutes in the morning, and 15 minutes in the evening or all at one time, if that's better for you. And if it, in that 15 minutes, if you just read five pages, we're talking, you know, was that three minutes a page? I can, even I can do that math. So 10 pages a day, right? That's over the course of a month of Monday through Fridays is a 200 page book. You know, most mm-hmm. business books are about two to 250 pages. So suddenly you're scheduling that, you're reading at that pace, at that relatively slow pace. There's nothing to sneeze at because that's a book a month. If you're not reading much at all now, 12 books a year is a big deal. So again, start tiny, start small. That might be opening the book and that's it. Or that might be reading 10 pages a day. Well, you mentioned speed. So I wanted to hear that. You've got an intriguing bit in your table of contents and it says how I can double or triple my reading (laughs) speed in minutes. Jeff, how is it done? (laughs) Well, there are several techniques and I'll admit uh, right out of the gate that my uh, co-author Jesse Wisniewski is the true master when it comes to speed reading. But I will say this connected to that since you asked the question. And that is a technique that we talk about called skimming, which is directly the cousin of speed reading. And this is something as a person who reads uh, for my podcast, I host a podcast called Read to Lead. So I'm reading a book a week and interviewing the author on that book. I had somebody ask me earlier today, it's like, surely you've had times where you've read a book, you've scheduled an interview, you've read a book, and you realize this is not a book you think is all that great, but now you got to do the interview. And I, and I told them, no, that doesn't happen. <laughs> like, what do you mean that doesn't happen? It's because before saying yes to someone and doing an interview, if I have any reservations or I just don't know them, I don't know their work, I want to be sure 100%, I will request the book and I will skim it. And here's how that works. I'll read the table of contents. I'll think about, okay, what in this table of contents truly interests me? Because in nonfiction, oftentimes, we don't have to start with chapter one, right? We might be able to start with chapter five. It's about that thing we want to know more about, whether it really draws our interest. Then beyond that, I'll go to that chapter or chapters, and I'll read just the headings and the subheadings from the beginning of chapter to the end of the chapter. And now I'm starting to get a real sense of, okay, what are we getting into here? What are the points the author's trying to make? Then I go back to the beginning of the chapter, and this only takes, you know, about 15 minutes. Go back to the beginning of the chapter, and I read the first sentence and the last sentence of each paragraph, and that's it. And you can get about 80% of the meat, the, the main ideas and key insights from a nonfiction book when you do that. And again, a, a single chapter could be done as little as five minutes to as much as 10 or 15 minutes, and boom, you, you've got the gist of it. And so that often works great for me when I've not said yes for yet to an author, but I want to, right? And I think I may want to. So I'll just do that skimming in a few chapters. And if I like what I read, if I like what I'm consuming at that point, then I'll go ahead and, and say yes, I'd like to have you on. Then I'll go back to the book and actually read it more thoroughly, taking notes, et cetera, that sort of thing. That's great. And so then 80% for uh, just a few minutes, that's a, that's a huge return. Think about uh, the Pareto 80-20 rule yeah. there. Very cool. <laughs> and so any other pro tips when it comes to you know boosting our comprehension? Because I guess that preview will be great just in terms of another rep for your memory. Mm-hmm. But any, any other pro tips in terms of getting more stuck into your brain set so it, it's really you retain it? Yeah, a couple. One I've been experimenting with for now a couple of years, and it's done wonders for my retention and my comprehension. And most times when I talk about this, people are like, I've never thought of that before. 
intriguing. But once they wrap their head around, like, that's a really good idea. Most people think it's a good idea. But with Brandon Burchard's High Performance Habits a couple of years ago, this is the first book I tried this with. I uh, had the audio book, but I ordered the physical book. And I sat down with the physical book, opened the audio book and put it on one and a half or 1.75 speed. That's Brendan, read it. I followed along. And it was almost like speed reading cheating because we can comprehend far faster than we can typically read aloud or read the sub vocalization that we do in our minds, which is read every word aloud in our heads, which we're kind of taught to do as kids and we carry into adulthood, which slows down our reading. And so speeding up, Brendan forced me to follow along at that pace. And the combination of seeing it with my eyes and hearing it with my ears, being able to comprehend it at that speed, I got through the book much faster. But that simultaneous audio and reading or seeing it in front of me just did wonders for my comprehension and retention. So I've, I don't do that with every book, but I do that with a lot more books than I used to. Uh, one other thing I'll say, uh, sort of connected to just the whole concept of retaining and increasing comprehension and that sort of thing is teach the material. I think it works best with physical or ebooks versus, say, an audiobook. But teach the material. Look for uh, opportunities to take what you've learned. This forces you to synthesize it down into its simplest form and put it in your own words. If you're going to teach it to someone else, you need to do that, right? And so whether that's one-on-one, whether that's uh, at a meeting at work, whether that's at a lunch and learn, or maybe your local chamber of commerce, uh, put yourself in positions to teach others what you've been learning about. Many of the books I was reading early in my career, just because I was doing that thing that most people weren't doing, reading, got me invitations to teach what I was learning, right? And so again, just the act of doing that helped my retention and my comprehension tenfold, I would say. Beautiful. Well, and so then on the flip side, what are some things that we should not do? Are there any sort of bad reading habits that we should get rid of? Yeah, I would think, or I would say rather, be very careful with your environment. Be particular with your environment. Uh, When you read, you're not going to want to have distractions. Your phone, I prefer uh, my phone either not in the room or at least turned over so that the screen is not facing up. Um, I will sometimes utilize uh, my phone by uh, connecting it to my uh, noise-canceling headphones and playing an app like Focus at Will or Adagio, which is a classical music app that allows you to select classical music based on, on mood, which is awesome. But I think it's important to be in a quiet place, have a reading chair, if at all possible, or in other words, a a place where you regularly read and drown out those distractions. One of the worst things for comprehension and retention is distraction, whether that's a mobile device, whether that's, uh, you know, the door of the room you're in being open or, or what have you. So try some of those things, whether that's closing the door, whether that's a regular spot, whether that's noise canceling headphones in an app to counter uh, those things, but distractions are, you know, whether it's uh, our our mobile device, whether it's an iPad. That's why I don't like to read uh, on the Kindle app on a tablet because of the potential for notifications. And the same with my phone. Um, you're not going to have that with an ebook, um, but I've got other books on that device quietly whispering to me to come read them. And so again, that's why I prefer a physical book because it's just that book. It's the only thing in my hands right now. I've got that and I've got something to write with. And that's all I need. And when I do that, retention and comprehension are going to be easier to come by. Lovely. 
Well, and so I know this is uh, probably an impossible question and one you've been asked many times, but nonetheless, <laughs> I'm going to do it. <laughs> Share with us, as you think about our audience and hmm. uh, what what they're into and how to be awesome at your job hmm. with uh, some universal skills, what do you think are, are some of the, the top books that you think really nail it on these fronts? Yeah, a couple that come to mind and they're they're inextricably linked. Uh, they're connected uh, for all time. And the first one is Multipliers. I mentioned this one, I think, earlier, How the Best Leaders Make Everyone Smarter by Liz Weissman, actually a book written with Greg McEwen, who would go on to write Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. That book just turned my world upside down as to what I say yes to, what I say no to. And I think in your job, if you're anything like most people, you probably say yes to far more things than you wished you did. And I think it's important to understand, and I don't know that Greg talks about this specifically, but what I've learned since then and applying what I've learned from Greg in essentialism is that we tend to default to yes when people ask of our time. And if we say no, we feel like we have to defend that no to that other person uh, when no is a complete sentence. And we should instead not default to yes, but default to no. And if we're going to say yes, we need to learn how to, de how to defend that yes to ourselves, right? And I think when we do that, we'll have a much better handle on our time. Now, as far as uh, Liz's book uh, is concerned, Multipliers, that book for me epitomized what being a true leader is all about. Multiplier type leaders are leaders who understand how to leverage the collective brain power in the room. I spent a lot of my years, early radio career in command and control type leadership environments. And early on in my leadership career, that's what I emulated because that's what I knew. And so I was intimidated by a staff member who might know more about something than I did, or who might one day want my job. A multiplier type leader relishes surrounding themselves with people smarter than they are and are not intimidated by that. And I have found that when I've worked for multiplier type leaders, that everybody everybody wins when you can equip your team to shine and and to flourish and to grow and to succeed regardless of whether or not you had anything directly to do with that just creating that environment means you're going to succeed as the leader and again just leveraging the collective brain power of the room equipping people to be the best that they can be and just getting out of the way <laughs> just letting them do what they do and trusting them by default one of my former leaders used to say, you know, I, I trust you. I hired you to do a job and I'm going to trust you until you give me a reason not to. You know, Stephen M. R. Covey talks about this in The Speed of Trust, the, the one thing that changes everything. I think as leaders, we need to trust our people. If they've given us a reason not to, that's different. But until they do, trust them. All right. Thank you. Well, Jeff, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about your favorite things? I would just say whether you're someone who is already convinced that reading is a habit uh, you need and maybe you are already cultivating or whether you're someone who is not yet convinced <laughs> that's the case. There is something in the book, Read to Lead, The Simple Habit That Expands Your Influence and Boosts Your Career for You. And I encourage you to check it out if you want to download the introduction and first chapter for free. Uh, you can do that at readtoleadbook.com. All right. Thank you. Well, now could you share a favorite quote? Something you find inspiring. Yes. And it would be, we don't take action because we believe. We believe because we take action. And then I would punctuate that with do first, believe second. This is something that Seth Godin said to me the first time I had him on my podcast. 
by well-meaning coaches and parents and teachers uh, were often given the advice, if you just believe in yourself enough, you'll be able to do anything you set your mind to. And that's not necessarily bad advice. But I think the better advice is don't worry about that. Let the belief and confidence catch up later. Just do. <laughs> it eventually will. Mm-hmm. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? I think my favorite study... And it lit a fire in me, honestly, and I don't know if I can quote the actual name of the study, but my favorite study was one I read not long before I started my podcast, uh, Read to Lead, in 2013. And it was a study about how few books people read. Most books read uh, one book a year, if that. I think the stat was 27% of people didn't read at all. And I was just like, I can't, I can't believe that there are, are that many people in the U.S. This was a U.S. study that don't see the value in this. But then I had to admit, well, that used to be me. I used to hate reading. What can I do to change that? And that was the impetus for for starting the, the podcast. All right. And a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job? I love my new Remarkable paper tablet. <laughs> I got a couple of months ago. So just does one or two things very, very well. You can read PDFs on it. You can read EPUB books on it. But it's mostly a writing tool. And uh, I've taken all my notebooks and I've gotten rid of all paper and all my notes from reading and my daily planning. My planner is all on my Remarkable 2 uh, tablet. And I absolutely love it. Okay. And is there a particular nugget you share that you're known for that people quote it back to you often? <laughs> it's this my, my mantra, my belief. And that is, uh, I believe that intentional and consistent reading is key to success in business and in life. Uh, put more bluntly, if you want to achieve true success in business and in life, then intentional and consistent reading is a must in my book. All right. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Primarily readtoleadbook.com. Secondarily readtoleadpodcast.com. All right. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah, and I hinted at this, this earlier. Just start. There's something that you want to do that scares you. Do something, at least one thing, every day that scares you. I think it was Eleanor Roosevelt that first said that. Bronnie Ware in The Five Regrets of the Dying talks about the number one regret of people being uh, they lived a life that everybody else wanted them to live instead of living a life true to themselves. And I think that's the case for a lot of us. We get to the end of our lives with regrets, not for things we did we wish we hadn't done, but for things we never tried that we wish we'd had attempted. Don't wait another day. It would have been better to start 10 years ago, sure, but you still have the second best time available to you, and that's right now. All right. Jeff, this has been a treat. I wish you lots of fun and enjoyment and enrichment in all your reading. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it being here. It was a lot of fun. I really love Jeff's perspective on tiny habits because, boy, I don't know about you, but I get motivated like, heck yeah, let's do this thing. I'm going to read a ton. That makes all the difference. But then when push comes to shove, you go too big and it peters out. So again, those tips associated with finding an anchor habit, starting small, celebrating what you've accomplished, and then gradually building your way up is huge. And I found that time and time again in my successful behavior changes. So huge thanks to Jeff for that tip. And you might check out our episode with BJ Fogg himself, who came up with the Tiny Habits approach. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. 
You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.